Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by my friend, Raphael Lugo. In this episode, Ralph and I discuss his spiritual awakening and how it led him to re-examine the energy he creates with his music. Next, Ralph talks about his experiences with extraterrestrials beginning as a young boy. Ralph then describes how a kundalini experience during deep meditation helped to expedite his spiritual development and openness to ET encounters. Ralph highlights several experiences, including one with an insectoid being called O. Ralph next discusses an encounter with ET abduction and the idea of an ongoing hybridization program. We then talk about the Mandela effect and whether it could indicate the existence of parallel universes. We end the discussion with a final ET experience and why Ralph believes that resulted in his family being abducted by the military. Outros available for this and all episodes available at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Music from the show available on the Spotify playlist, Entangled the Vibes. Please enjoy. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. Tonight, I'm super excited to be joined by my friend, Rafael Lugo. Ralph, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, and I'm super blessed and excited to be on here with you as well, man. For real. Me too, man. I was really, uh, really excited when uh, we got to meet a couple weeks ago at that CE5 event up here in Denver. Sure, we can get into that um, and just... You know, like we were kind of just talking about offline, I think, uh, you know, we, we resonated on a lot of different things. And uh, and uh, it's cool to see that, you know, the uh, UFOlogy community uh, isn't all old people like uh, <laughs> maybe some of the. Uh, no, for real. The bias. For real. No, no, no. I love that. I love that. Hey, man, I, I, I feel like it's for everybody, but there is this stigma on the ufology. Com- well, I never know how to say it. The ufology community where. Um, it's only just, you know, just tree hugging hippies and like, you know, older people because that's what they see at conferences or whatever. But the truth is, is that people are just thirsty for the truth. And there's a lot of people everywhere that want this information and want to know what's really happening beyond the veil, as they say, right? When you peek beyond that blanket or the curtain or whatever. So um i think i think it's been my mission for a very long time to be able to take this information that i've known and that i have from being able to have contact with you know multiple extraterrestrial races and also being in like the hip-hop community earlier on in my career and then transitioning into a more positive light being type of musician all that stuff comes with the awakening process that has been taking my whole life to get to so yeah man it's been a blessing i'm so happy i've got to meet you at the ce5 that we did and it was some pretty cool things that happened so i i, I can't wait to talk about that too yeah awesome so why don't we to kick things off why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself where you grew up how you first got interested in uh, extraterrestrials and the ufo phenomenon all that good stuff okay for sure okay so I was born and raised in the Bronx, but I spent a lot of time in Orlando, Florida. So I'm kind of like in between the two. 
I'm a Puerto Rican as well, so you can say I'm a New Yorican with Florida tendencies. So that's kind of like me, me in a nutshell. But um, proud, proud Puerto Rican, proud New Yorican, and proud Floridian. And um, yeah, um, spent a lot of my early years doing a lot of gangster rap and a lot of kind of like street music, you would say, in, in in hip hop form. And I wasn't really resonating with the music i just thought it was the best ticket for me to be able to at least make some money in the entertainment business what i noticed along the way was with all these experiences that i've been having earlier on in my life and through my life that the negativity that i was putting out there with that music i I really didn't understand vibration at the time So I was like, I'm just making music for people to vibe to. But the truth is, is that on a subconscious and quantum level, those are negative lyrics, negative phraseology. I mean, words are called spelling for a reason. So I was casting negative spells on people by just rapping negativity. You know what I'm saying? So I realized in a moment of meditation, kind of like mid through my career, that that wasn't going to be the way for me anymore. And I changed all of my music to be a more positive, kind of like uplifting style of music. So because I did that, I ended up losing a lot of friends and a lot of people in my life that were really attached um, to my everyday kind of, you know, I seen them every day. But in losing them, I gained so many beautiful experiences and so many beautiful other friends especially like yourself, that um, that really helped me kind of cement myself in my path and my knowing. So um, that's me in a nutshell, but my experiences, if you want to like get into like the UFO stuff, that started earlier on in my life. I think the earliest experience that I can remember was around the age of five. And um, even to this day, it kind of it kind of wears me out. Like I've always had kind of like fears that I can never really account for. Like, for instance, if I was sitting in the living room and it was dark outside and the blinds were open and I couldn't really see on the other side of the blinds, I would always feel like there was this presence on the other side of the blind staring at me. If I was sleeping in the bedroom and the closet door was cracked open just a little bit. It just always felt like I was going to be dragged and pulled into these dark corners. I never really knew why until later on in my life, but um, the earliest memory that I can remember, um, it's kind of embarrassing because for a lot of my younger years, this fear that I've had of the dark and all these scared corners kind of forced me to share a room inside of my parents' bedroom for years. So it's like I had a twin-sized bed inside of my parents' bed where they slept, which to these days makes me embarrassed to say, like I don't believe I'm saying it on a podcast, but I feel like in me saying this, maybe I can help somebody else out there that might be also having those same fears. So I feel like in humbling myself, you know, embarrassing myself a little bit by saying that and admitting that, if it could help somebody else, then it is what it is. So the truth is I probably slept in my parents' bedroom for maybe the age of 11, 12, or whatever, because I was just scared all the time. And um, the earliest memory I can remember, I was about five years old. I was sleeping in the twin bed 
next to my mom's and my pops. And um, I just remember having this feeling of, man, if I open my eyes, I am going to see something. Like, I know for a fact that when I open my eyes, I'm going to see something. And I just, since the earlier on in my memory, I don't know how I figured this out. I don't know who told me to do this, but I always had this instinct that if I could wiggle my toes, then I could move my whole body. So I felt like if I can, if I can wiggle my toes, then I could swing on whoever's around me. So before I would open my eyes, my first instinct would be like, okay, wiggle your toes. And then in this particular instance, I couldn't wiggle my toes. So I knew when I opened my eyes, I was going to see something because I was under some sort of paralysis. A lot of people would say this is considered sleep paralysis or whatever. And during sleep paralysis, you get vivid images of things. And I'm not discrediting people that have been in sleep paralysis and this has happened to, but it was way more vivid than that, in my opinion. And um, this is what I saw when I opened my eyes. I could not move. And when I opened my eyes, I saw the traditional gray, just big, bulbous head, um, two big almond eyes, kind of went in a slanted up kind of formation, two, two holes where the ears would be, um, kind of of a defined nose, not like a big nostril or whatever, but like a, a little kind of a nasal passways that leaded into two holes where the nostrils and nose would be. Um, a slit where the mouth was and the face was a little bit wrinkled, not too much, but you did see kind of like some kind of patterning or, or wrinkles in the face. The The gray wasn't completely gray. It was grayish in color, but it was more of a lighter gray. And I would say that from the neck down, it had some sort of different color suits on maybe the color of like a dark bluish compared to from the neck down and from the neck up is was their grayish tone and body. And I just remember seeing it kind of freaking out and going, mm, mommy, it's like trying to call for my mother, but obviously I couldn't move my lips and she must've been either under some control or deep in sleep to where she couldn't hear me. And that's when I noticed there was another gray, the same exact looking being standing kind of halfway at my door. Like you could just see half of the eye, half of the silhouette of the body, just kind of creepily standing at the door. And then I looked beyond him or her or whatever this being was. And, and there was another gray standing in the hallway in the distance. And all of them was looking at me at the same time. And that's when I heard in my own voice, in my head, um, we're not here to hurt you. Everything's going to be okay. And it started moving in between the twin-size bed and the uh, queen-size bed in which my mother was sleeping in. Excuse me. And um, it kind of floated. It didn't, I didn't see like walking motion as it came to me. The best way I can explain it is the classic Spike Lee scenes when the when when the main character is having the aha moment and or panic and he's kind of like moving without walking while everything around him is kind of going crazy. It was kind of that. It was intensely looking directly in my eyes while I was paralyzed. And it was like floating towards me until it almost got really close to, to Eskimo kissing me. And then I woke up. 
And it was morning time. And then I told my mother what happened. Um, and she said, I heard you kind of like mumbling something, but uh, she dismissed it. And then we went outside to like, it was snowing. It was in the Bronx at the time. We went outside to kind of look, because I guess she was like entertaining me or whatever. Like, okay, let's go check to see the footprints or whatever. <laughs> and there actually was little prints that that led out into the middle of the yard and then disappeared. Like it didn't go left, right. So that was the first experience that I remember having with the Grays. And after you saw the footprints, did your mother start to believe you or did she still dismiss it? She was just kind of like, she was like, oh, kind of like played around with it. Because to her, it could have been a squirrel or an animal of some sort. And she kind of didn't say yes. She didn't say no. She wasn't freaked out. But she does um, validate that that experience uh -huh. did uh -huh. happen. And when we talk about um, experiences, right, we always want to look for kind of like, is it related? Is it genetic? You know, it, has it happened in the family? And I remember, I do remember this story that my mom told me once. She was open to this, and, and, and I can tell you how it was validated as well by another researcher of high credibility. So um, I, I can tell you how, like, generational, kind of how you know is generational, right? So she told me this story, and she was like, hey, I, I remember this one time when I was hanging out in the mountains of Puerto Rico with your uncles. And my uncles were Theo Coffee and Theo Papo, right? And they were all hanging out in the woods, kind of doing what kids did in, in their time, which was kind of like, you know, picking flowers if you're a girl and, you know, playing hide and seek with the boys, wrestling or whatever. And she said that the boys went to go do what they were doing in the woods. And she was just kind of like picking flowers in like this meadow. And she looks up and the way she explains this is she sees this silver kind of like top dancing in the sky. So for all my bilingual people out there, she says, Había como un trompo que me estaba haciendo un bailito en el cielo. So she said it was like a top that was doing a little dance in the sky, right? The way she explains it. And she said that she was looking at this top doing this dance in the sky. And then she kind of fell asleep the way she explains it. And when she woke up, she was coming down from a light, but she was spinning really fast. And when she hit the ground from this light, she was still spinning on the ground. Like the, the force or whatever was dropping her down from this light had her spinning on the ground. She just remembers that. And then a couple of minutes after her laying down, she sees this, this kind of fly away. And um, she sees Theo Coffee and Theo Papo come running from the woods like, oh, my God, where were you? Your mommy would have been so mad at us if we would have went home without you. Uh, it was hours and we couldn't find you. We were so scared. We went all over the place. So for what my mom thought it was something dancing in the sky, I blink, I open my eyes, I land. To her, to my uncles, it was like two and a half hours. Where were you? Like we're shitting a brick over it. So yeah, and then the validation came from, um, uh, like fast forward long into my life or whatever. I'm having a lot of experiences and kind of PTSD that comes with having these experiences and not really talking to others about it. Right? You internalize all these things and. The way I used to explain it to people without feeling kind of weird about it, 
was imagine three people with masks come into your room while you're sleeping. They tie you up before you wake up. You can't move. <laughs> they pick you up and they fling you out a window, throw you in the van, put you to sleep, wake you up, and you're in your bed perfectly fine and don't remember anything that happened. If that were to happen to you, you would have PTSD every time you would sleep too. You understand? So yeah. I just wouldn't tell them, you know, obviously that's what it was like when the grays came, you know? So obviously it was terrifying during the beginning, but the more I understand the communication that they would have with each other, which is telepathic, less need for facial expressions. And when us as humans, we, we kind of interact with people with body language as well as physical language. So it's like, I know if I'm looking at you, and you're saying hello, but you look like this, so you got a mean face. I know you're angry. Now, this gray could have been the happiest gray in the world, but his face was completely emotionless. So to me, it was terrifying, you know? So now I know that that's what I was experiencing as a child without the knowledge. Of course, I would be terrified, which would make people think, oh, these experiences are negative. But in reality, I haven't really had a negative experience with any entity that I've been in contact with. The only negative experience I would say is maybe I would have to be under some sort of control because they might be viewing me as some out of control, you know, Neanderthal monkey maybe that might hit their frail bodies out of fear and crack a skull or something, you know, maybe it's for their own protection that we're, under this kind of hypnosis. And a lot of people don't put that into consideration. They just see control and they get, you know, they get, you know, they're scared, which, you know, to each their own, you know? So I remember saying this and I got in contact with this psychiatrist. I forgot his name, but I saw him in a UFO documentary. And I uh -huh. called this person thinking he was not going to pick up the phone. And sure enough, the minute I dialed the phone, the same person I'm seeing in this documentary picked up the phone that I called. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, um, I was really flustered. Like, oh, oh my God. Um, and he goes, I, I still remember it to this day. He goes, just take a breath and tell me everything from the beginning. So uh -huh. I pretty much, I'm going to tell, I, the same thing I'm about to tell you, I've told him from the whole process. And he goes, okay. I'm going to call this very serious person called Denise Stoner that, that's, that, that deals with a lot of people in the UFO community that are like experiencers. She writes books on the subject, yada, yada. Uh -huh. So I'm like, okay, I would love to speak to anybody because I'm bugging out over here. I don't know if I'm going crazy. I don't know if this and, is real. And so, so when was this in your life? Like, how old were you at this point? I was already probably into having most of my experiences, maybe to be like an age-wise, maybe early 30s. And so in between that kind of first uh, first experience that you remember as, as a five-year-old, you had some pretty profound kind of intermittent Yeah, yeah, well. before, yes, yes, yes. Before I talked to Miss Denise Stoner, I've already had a couple of legit experiences, okay. which I told the psychiatrist at this time, which, which was compelling enough for him to call Miss Denise Stoner, right? Yeah. So she calls, so I'm thinking... When he gave, I'm thinking when he gave her the email, it was going to be like, oh, she'll get to me in like two weeks. 
Well, sure enough, an hour or two passes, I get an email from this lady. Hey, is it okay to talk like right now? Can you call me? So I say, okay. I thought that was kind of interesting. So I picked up the phone. I called her, you know, and I was like, hey, how you doing? Um, this is what's happening. She goes, if you don't mind telling me, this person told me a little bit what was happening, but I would love to get your, I would love to hear it again from you, you know? So I told her kind of everything. And she was like, the first thing she was like, was like, I just I still remember it because it was the first time that I remember somebody of any kind of reasonable stature outside of my family that validated and said I wasn't crazy. So it was like a big moment in my life for Miss Denise Stoner to say over the phone, you're having legitimate experiences from what I can hear. You're not talking about things that you could like really find on YouTube or anywhere out there. So I know they're legitimate, you know, and um. Um, I would love to meet you as soon as possible. So I go, hell yeah, I'm validated. She gives me some tips on what to do. Like, for instance, this might help other people out there. My paranoia was so scared. Like, I was so worried about being taken that I used to hide, like, knives in, in places around the house, like, away out, obviously away from the reach of children, but just in every room, I would hide a weapon. Like, in the bathroom, there was a knife. In the, in the living room, there was a hidden knife. In my bedroom, there was a hidden knife. And I told Ms. Denise Stoner this was because I never knew what room it was going to be. I never knew when it was going to be. And I always wanted to be prepared. And she goes, well, those knives ain't going to help you, honey. You might end up getting somebody injured. Why don't you replace those with flashlights? Because if you fl if you flash the light in their eyes, they really don't like that. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. So there's a tip for y'all out there. There's some grays harassing y'all and y'all got knives laying around y'all scared use flashlights they work better anyway <laughs> so um she came to my house with this other lady of high stature in in florida excuse me <clears throat> in florida and she was the 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 florida lead director of mufon miss mm -hmm. terry lynch and both Terry Lynch and Miss Denise Stone came over my house and they did like the whole test. Hey, hey could you just uh, describe what MUFON is as well? Um, MUFON is like a community or a website or an organization in which they've been documenting UFOs and like extraterrestrial contact since like the 40s or 50s or way back then. And they keep records and send investigators out and they have logs. So because she was a MUFON investigator, I've been logged in the MUFON mm. files since way back already talking about some of the experiences that I'm talking about now. Like I said, I didn't really go out there and get on podcasts too much. I did UFO Chronicles. I've done um, another podcast with my homie Jake, which is um, Aliens and Ghost Stories, if I'm not mistaken. And now I'm doing yours. So it's not like I have done too many of these. I'm just starting to like know that I have to start putting my message out there to help others, hopefully. And also, you know, like, I feel like if all this is really happening to me, right, and these people are like, there's some people that's being really stigmatized, and there might be some people out there that are going, you know what, this, ain't, this can't be happening to me. I'm going crazy. Well, if, if, you're, if, if, if any of the things that I'm saying is resonating with you, then maybe 
things are actually happening <laughs> and you're hearing it from somebody else and the hairs are standing up on your arm right now because it's freaking you out because it's like I'm speaking about your life as well. And that's the same effect that I was getting when Miss Denise Stoner and others would, would tell me, no, honey, this is what's going on and is real. So she comes over my house. She validates me, and I tell her the same story, and this is how I go full circle with the Puerto Rico thing. I tell her this, the story because she asked me, um, um, have you, um, um, is it generational? Like, have you ever heard any stories of this happening in your family? I told her the story about what happened to my mother in Puerto Rico. And she was like, aha, mm-hmm, mm, interesting. And she goes into her bag, and she starts reading some notes from something that from another, you know, person, I don't want to say the name, obviously, or anything, you know, you know, keep her information out. But it was another experiencer that came to speak to her about her experiences in Puerto Rico. And it just so happens that the whole coming from the light, spinning on the floor thing was 100% accurate and on point with, it was kind of a validation way for her to say, oh, yeah, there's no way he could have known that, you know? Was the timing similar to, to to your mom's experience? I guess, and and when would your mom's experience have been? It must have been a. It, it must have been. Well, she's in her late seventies, early eighties, and she was talking about it like she was like between eight and twelve. Like she was still a kid picking flowers. The way she experienced. So, like it. maybe early fifties. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Which is interesting because yeah. you know that's that's when supposedly right as all the UFO activity was really picking up. Right, it was after nineteen forty-five. One, I love how you piece that together. I never really thought about that, but yeah, when you when you think about it that way, one hundred percent. Yep, for sure. Um, so anyway, sorry to interrupt. You were talking about you were telling that part of the story to Miss Denise. Oh yeah, yeah, and she and she pretty much just validated, and she validated a lot of other things, and so did Miss Terry Lynch. Validated a lot of other things, which kind of cemented me in this state of like, all right, all right, okay, so. This is happening to me. What do I do now? So around this time, I was already doing positive music. Around this time, I was already doing positive music, right? And the reason why I did that um, transition was I've had other experiences, and we'll definitely get to that. But um, I remember just being in, like, starting to get into meditation and going, okay, one of the things that I need to do is really get into, like, the mind body i i have saw the secret not too long after and was like oh my god uh quantum theory and doc, oh, like double split like i started getting really into like the the reality kind of the 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 3d hologram started to kind of fade off right and i started meditating a lot during this time and in one meditation right I was already kind of not cursing so much in rhymes, but I was still talking about like gangster, gangster, even though I was far from it. You know, I was just trying to portray this image. And I just remember having this meditation point where I saw this 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 white light in, in, in my mind's eye. And I kind of floated towards this light until it engulfed me. And I saw my astral body and I connected. I had that moment of like, the Kundalini awakening where you're like feeling one with the universe, right? And and I just remember seeing, feeling everything. Like I felt the blade of a grass. I felt 
the wings on the butterfly's back. I felt, I felt the wind. I felt everything around everywhere at once. So I knew I was like one with everything. And I was shown instantly the minute I was in that, that like that, that meditation kind of one with everything form, everything that I did negatively with my music. I saw it. Like I felt it. I saw, I saw people getting revved up to fight to my music. I saw people listening to my music and thinking about robberies and, and, and killing people and hurting people and how they would smoke to my music and how kids were writing like me. And I was like, no, I can't do this no more. And I knew for a fact that I felt this overwhelming love. And I came out of the, mo I came out of the meditation knowing like from that point on, I knew what my words were doing. I knew what my music was doing. I just couldn't. I couldn't talk about gangster, gangster. I couldn't do drug talk. I couldn't do anything that I knew somebody could hear and, and probably get influenced to do something negative. So it was in these meditations where I had this contact experience with this insectoid being, which I know to be called O. That same exact Kundalini experience or a separate meditation? No, no, it was a separate meditation. It, it, it was okay. because of that Kundalini experience that I started to really get into meditation. I see what you're saying. You, at that point, then you were like, okay, this is real. Like, I'm, I was I'm like, on. I'm on. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Like, I know, like, not only are aliens real, but like, I'm going to die and have to answer to something. Like, I'm going to have to, sure. like, I'm going to have to, like, be like, you know what? Like, I came here to do it. It's like I almost remembered that I came here to do a job. Like, this is all a game. Yeah. I look at life as a game, and a lot of people go, wow, you're turning 40, and what do you do for a living? I was like, I podcast, I make beats. I'm, I'm a kid, bro. I make, like, I'm, I'm, this is what I do for a living, you know? You're so living it's like, your best life. Exactly. I'm, I, I got a beautiful wife that I've been with for 19 years. I got two beautiful, healthy baby boys that are chilling. One's 12, one's eight. So it's like, I'm loving life, bro. There's really yeah. nothing to complain about. And there's a long period of time because I was a, an experiencer that I kind of was, you know, not doing too well, you know, with the PTSD and stuff like that. So, Anyway, I'm having this meditation. I'm in my recording studio and I'm going to backtrack to other experiences I've had, but I'm going to jump to this experience with O because it's, it's, it's a pretty vivid one that I still remember. And, um, I just remember being in meditation and I get this telepathic connection of this something telling me, I want to show you something and I'm going to appear your room, but I don't want you to look at me. And I'm like, whoa, is, am I bugging? Like, this is still, I'm early in my meditation. I'm early in the acceptance of channeling and communicating. But this is after the Kundalini? Definitely after uh -huh. the Kundalini, uh -huh. right? And um, I'm, just, I'm just in this meditation, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to go with the flow. Okay, so who are you? And I get this um, flash, like... Every time I get a mental vision, whether I'm communicating with an ET, it happens two ways. My home, I close my eyes and my whole mind is dark. And then out of the darkness, a face will peek out and kind of like start forming in front of me. Uh -huh. And if I focus on just the face, eventually the shoulders will come out and then eventually the background, right? Wow. Or... If, if it's a downloaded information, like if I get it like a download, like a quick image, it comes always from 
the right side of my head and it floats to the left side of my head. So it's always, the image always starts appearing like as if it was a movie screen in a square, but it starts like half a square, full square, full image, image fading, image gone. And it's, and I can never hold on to it. <laughs> I can never stop it. It always just comes as it wants. So does it freak you out? In the beginning, I kind of just thought I was doing it. Uh -huh. So it's like, I thought everybody can do this. It was in, in like having these contact experiences time and time again that I started to notice that this is telepathy. This mm -hmm. is what um, a download is. This is what, you know, tapping into like an Akashic records into yeah. a knowing is. So it's kind of, you can kind of tell the difference depending on what vibration you're in. Yeah. In this certain image, when I said, who are you? I get this name <laughs> and it's so, excuse me. <clears throat> In this image, I get this name, and it's so long, man. It's like, I can't pronounce it, but I, it started with an O, <laughs> and it was like Azmaras Nakaz, some, something mad long. <laughs> and I just remember having this thought of, this is too long for me to even understand or say. And the minute I had the thought, I hear telepathically, just call me O. Wow. Like, because it was the first letter. So I was like, okay, oh, so what are you doing here? What are you, right? And and, and I wanna I wanna can communicate with you. And he goes, um, I look like this. Or it goes, this is what I look like, right? And it shows me an image instantly, like just an image of a cockroach laying on his back with all the sick arms up, like all the arms out like this and the head, you know, the big bulbous eyes, yeah. the little kind of triangle like head, kind of like what every insect, like an ant or a cockroach would look like. And it just shows me that flash and I go, whoa. And it goes, yeah, think about that every time you step on one. Cause I'll show up in your room. And it, it did it like, uh, very like almost like to ease me uh -huh. it made a joke in communication and i felt telepathically laughter and joy uh -huh. it was no fear even though i saw this image of what you're looking like like what you look like in my mind it kind of like disarmed me by saying a joke yeah you think about it next time you step on another yeah. one i might show up in your room but like the way we come eight feet tall yeah. like be be careful what you do type deal right and um i just get this this joy and laughter so i go okay i want to see you i'm ready to like see you like can i see you so it gives me instructions on how to see it right and it goes look into the corner and have like a soft gaze like close my eyes like i'm doing a meditation yeah and look into the corner now i'm already in meditation so your eyes are closed so i'm already in that mind state already uh -huh. yeah so i so i kind of peek them open a little bit excuse me i peek them open a little bit and i look directly into the corner and I get this thought in my head, like, the minute he forms, I'm going to go like this. I'm going to turn my head and look, right? The minute I get the thought, this is how I know it was a telepathic connection. Because the minute I think it, I answer, it's answered. So I thought it, and it said, if you do that, I'll disappear. So don't even think yeah. it. Because I have to think it to turn yeah. my head. I don't turn my head before I think it. So the brain has to think, turn your head. Then I have to have the right, reflex to right. turn it. Like, even though it's quick. Telepathy is faster. Yeah. So he'll whole, know that I'm about to turn my head before I do it. Non-locality of consciousness idea. Pretty, pretty much. Pretty much. I didn't know that at the time, but that's kind of like 
How, I just remember how instant the answers yeah. came. It was like, I'm going to turn my head. If you do that, it's, it's a wrap. Like, I thought it, and it was like, I'm not going to be there when you do it. So I just decided to listen because I wanted to continue in this experience. So I gaze into the corner, and sure enough, as I'm gazing in my peripheral vision, because it said, I'm going to show up in your peripheral. Like, uh -huh. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to manifest myself. It's kind of like... I would assume that I think it's like this is what ET training would be. Like, yeah. I don't think they would manifest immediately. It's like we start as a kid, we little by little, then you'll remember this, then you'll get a regression, then you'll do and like it's a yeah. process because at one time maybe might be too much for our human minds to be able to comprehend, right? So it's I see if I see this black haze. And it starts forming and it's huge and it's big. It's like if it were to walk out of my recording studio, it would have to duck down and kind of like really duck down to get out my doorway. So it was above mm -hmm. seven and a half feet. Like it was like shack, like in mm -hmm. my room now. And I see this haze and I go, I, I kind of feel it. And I go, I get like this feeling. I'm a little uneasy, but I'm okay with it because now there's this you know, possibly six six foot and a half, seven foot, maybe praya mantis, cockroach, ant-looking being standing in my room in my peripheral vision close enough to take a bite out of my forehead. You know, maybe, you know, I don't know. But I didn't sense no fear. I just had the feeling of like, there might be this big being here, right? And I just go, okay. All right, I'm done with this. I'm gazing. And I go, how do I know this ain't me? How do I know I'm not just so in love with UFOs, so in love with aliens, I want this to happen so bad that I'm triggering and manifesting this conversation in my head. And it instantly says subquantum kinetics, and it disappears. And it just, the connection is gone. Everything is gone. Every, everything about this connection with O is gone. The haze mm -hmm. is gone. I snap out of my meditation. There's nobody in my room. There's no dust, no mist, no nothing. And I go directly to my computer and I type in subquantum kinetics. And at the time, I didn't know anything about subquantum kinetics. I wasn't really studying stuff. I was maybe kind of sort of secret, knew a little mm -hmm. bit about this and a little bit about that, but nothing like subquantum kinetics, right? So I'm typing this in, and the little bit that I was find online was talking about how it might be the formula used or like some of the ways that you find the math to be able to use for mm -hmm. space travel and quantum traveling and folding black holes and stuff. So it kind of was like its way of validating to me, here's something you don't know, butthole, subquantum kinetics. Look that up and tell me if you're talking <laughs> to yourself or if you're talking to a being from another planet. So that was yeah. my connection with O, which I, which a lot of people get a kick out of. So that's that. And did, uh, did O tell you like where, uh, what planet he was from or what the species was or anything? See, that's that's what I wish I got or I wish I had like the wherewithal to be able to like say or like think of. But it didn't even occur to me. What I can say is there was something familiar about my buddy. O, even though he's a big cockroach, prayer mantis, bug looking like being right to me, it was more like, yeah, I know this guy. 
And and I got this sense of like you're worried about what I look like, but if you knew what you used to look like on your planet, you That's wouldn't be funny. talking too much, buddy. Like I got this sense of like we we were soul like soul friends in some way, shape, or form. Well, and it's interesting you talk about that, right? Because it gets into the conception of time as well, right? And so if you think that there are, you know, which obviously we both do, that there are these higher intelligence beings that understand the physics of the universe, they also understand likely, at least to some extent, how to manipulate time as well as space, right? And so it's not it's not um, out of the question to think that, you know, they are the same beings that have kind of been there guiding you throughout your life, just in different manifestations. For sure, for sure. I was talking to another experiencer not too long ago, and she told me something that really even now i have to talk about it on your podcast because it really shakes me so i talk about this experience that i've had right and i used to think about this as a past life kind of memory that i've had on this other planet which i know to be sirius b or the constellation Sirius. i don't know how that works but i think sirius b is a planet and i think it's a water planet right and if it's not, please correct me. Let me know. So I, I'm not saying I know all this 100%. I'm not a scholar in any way, shape, or form. I do do my research and I do look into this stuff. But I try not to do too much because I want to stay pure to the experience. And I don't want nobody to think like I'll be adding stuff. So I kind of just kind of like stick to what I know and kind of research what I research. But it's pretty much... I remember this 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 um this planet. It was just all water. And um the ocean was like jelly-like in a way, and it was almost purple and electrified. Like I just remember it being full of energy, purple, gelatin-like water. And I'm sitting in this canoe and I'm looking at my hands. And I just remember, even though I'm supposed to be this being, I am kind of at all at what i look at like so it makes me feel like maybe i kind of like parallel universe my constant my consciousness right or whatever but anyway i just remember looking at my hands and going whoa and they were webbed and i was a scaly i was green i had kind of like a little bit of nails or whatever and i just remember going whoa and i look at my body and i just remember looking at the reflection and the water of how my face looked. And it was like I had a big smile, a big like smile, these kind of like big ears that looked like fins or whatever with spiky points on them. And I just remember when I, I was like, whoa, like, and then I look up at the horizon and I can see like this big planetary like system and then another yeah. moon or star behind it, like in the distance. And then I'm like, whoa. So like, and like I, a second moon? Yeah, like a second moon okay, or a second sun or whatever. Like a bi. It was, it was definitely two things in the sky, right? And one of them was really close up, right? Really close. Like it took up half of the sky. It was so damn big. And, and when did you first remember this? It was like midway through having the Kundalini experience and before. No way. So it was like it was an early memory, but I always explained it as a dream. I always explained it as a dream. So I'm saying this to this experiencer and she goes, you know what? I'm being told like, cause she channels and she communicates often. She goes, I'm being told for you to talk a lot about time. 
And she goes on this, this tangent talking about time and how a lot of people forget that on this planet, we're on linear time. And, 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 and to live on this 3D plane, we have to look at time this way. But since time ain't the same way on other planets and there's different rules in different places, you might be living as this fish being right now while you're talking to me at the same time it's just here on this planet it's linear and over there is like you know the difference yeah. between the last time you remember it and now is probably an hour you know so that's so, so wild it's crazy to think about yeah it, it still blows my mind now it's like whoa oh, i could I be living that. as that fish being now <laughs> so um i'm curious like how was it that you went from as a boy being afraid of extraterrestrials to being more open to meeting them and then, and then to even actively going to seek them out. Okay. So that's a great question. I'll tell you that after having that like five-year-old experience that I can remember, right. That was like, kind of like in the beginning, I don't really remember too much, but like little things that has kind of happened in my life. Right. So there was this like one experience I remember having maybe in my early twenties, mid twenties after my five, like after I was five. So I'm not saying I didn't have experiences all the way from five in between. I'm just saying unless I'm regressed or unless I do some really deep inside meditation work, I don't remember any, right? So that's why I said there'd be huge gaps. It's like I'll talk about when I was five and then the next jump would be like late teens, early 20s. So like I remember laying down on my couch and I was sleeping or whatever. And I just remember having the same feeling. I got to wiggle my toes. I feel like something's staring at me type deal. And I couldn't wiggle my toes. So I knew when I opened my eyes, I was going to see something. And I go to open my eyes. And in the ceiling, there's like this, the best way I can explain it, it looked like venom. But it was like a black, tarry, gooey-like substance on the ceiling that was a portal. So you could see directly through it. But it covered my ceiling like a goo. And... There was a gray being kind of staring at me from the other side of the goo, staring at me like this. So if I'm laying down, looking up, it's peering at me from the other side of the goo like this. And when I open my eyes and I notice it, it notices me noticing it. And it it kind of like gets nervous, pulls away, and and the goo goes... And kind of sucks into my ceiling fan and disappears. And then I and then I completely snap out of it and go, whoa. And that was it. And that was the end of that experience. That's all I can remember from that. But maybe little things that would happen. Like, and I'll give you another experience. I, I was laying down sleeping. My wife sleeping next to me. I get the same feeling. I can no longer sleep on my side facing the outside of the bed because of this experience like it still to this day traumatized me to the point where i gotta have like a pillow in between me and the edge of the bed right so i'm I'm laying down and i get this feeling something's staring at me man something is staring at me and sure enough i open my eyes and i'm talking about within inches this close is the gray eyes are locked in directly in my eyes noses are almost touching and i just go ah! And I just pass out and fall asleep. And that's all I remember. So that things like that would happen to me all the time. I remember going through a wall 
And when people go, okay, uh, tell me how it was to like go through a wall, right? Okay, I heard people talk about it and they go, the wall completely disappears in like a light. And then you walk through the light and it's like a vibration. For some reason, for me, it's different, right? Or I remember it different. I remember laying down in bed and being floated out of my bed, right? I'm completely lifted. I'm completely, I'm being turned in the sky, yeah. kind of like, and I'm going towards the window, towards the window, towards the front, like where the wall. So the window's here, and there's just a wall right here. So I'm floating at window height, but I'm not going through the window. I'm going towards the wall. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to hit that wall. I just remember thinking, I'm looking, I'm conscious. I know I'm floating out. I, I know I'm being taken. I'm totally fine for some reason with being taken. I'm not panicking. I must be under some sort of mind control at this point. I just remember being lucid enough to remember being in the air, uh -huh. looking at my parents, uh -huh. looking. So it must have been at a younger time. And I just remember my feet going through first and I didn't see no light or nothing. I just remember passing through. And then I remember the wall kept coming up on my body and the wall kept coming up closer. Like to it's about to engulf my face, right? I'm about to go through it. And when I went through and the wall got to like my mouth, I just remember tasting the plaster. I remember tasting. I remember being able to taste the wall taste the plaster, no taste way. the outside of the cement of that brick. And yeah, and I just remember feeling that tingly sensation as I'm passing through. Then I remember seeing a light and then seeing trees. And I remember instead of going around the trees, the way you would think, right? That's like a UFO above a tree. And you would think that it would raise you up and then it'll go around the tree. And then when you go above the tree, it bring you over. But no, it brings you straight through the tree. And I just remember when I was going through the branches, looking at the branches in the engulfed light. And I just remember as the branches passing through, I'm tasting the bark. I'm tasting the leaves. But it's going through my mind. It's going through me. It's not. It's, I, so when I tell people that experience, I don't know how many people resonate with that. But that's how I remember the little time that I do remember when I go through. That's how I remember the experience being. So it sounds like you think it was your body as well. Because one, one thought I've had here in some other abduction experiences is I think other people can have them where it's more just their energy body, but not their actual physical body. But your story sounds like it was probably your physical body too. Because I'm thinking is because I'm thinking the reason why it's the physical body is might be attached to the hybridization program. So let's, so, so let's like veer that way. So. One of my more vivid mm. experiences is possibly attached yeah. to what I seem to be thinking is a, a hybridization program. So when it comes to the hybridization program, when I talk about this, it always kind of makes me feel like a little bit like, eh, I don't know if I should talk about it. It involves, you know, my, my son in one experience, and I don't like to put him out there like that. And it involves... And another experience I've had involves my whole family, right? So it's like, I don't like to like speak for them because my kids do not remember any of the things that I be talking about. And uh, my wife does remember certain key things that I talk about. So it's like, she, she validate a lot, but I, I'm kind of always weary about talking about my kids. But if it can help somebody else out, why not put it out there, right? So 
I remember being in the driveway. Now, I don't know how I got here. <clears throat> but I remember being in the driveway and um, I was holding my son by the hand and we were both looking up at this massive UFO. Now, this UFO must have been, my brother, I think it must have been like maybe the size of a football field. Like it was just huge, massive. And was this when you were living in uh, Orlando? Yeah, this is the Orlando Oviedo area, which I had like two key, uh, you know, really key yeah, experiences Yeah, we, we definitely there. should get into the, the other one too. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, I just remember being in the driveway and seeing this massive UFO. And if I were to explain the UFO, I were to explain it in a way like it had indentations, but it didn't have like ribbits and panels. It was like there was lights shining out of this UFO or whatever. But it didn't have like ribbits or anything. It, it didn't look man-made. You know what I'm saying? And there was a mist coming off of it. Maybe like a velvety color, like a purplish mist coming off of it. So maybe it was in this reality and outside. Like when we had that CE5, we could kind of see that mist of the ship forming in the distance or whatever. It was kind of that kind of mist coming off of this masked UFO. And I just remember being with my oldest son in the driveway, looking up at this thing. And then out of nowhere, it's kind of like you blink and I'm walking down this long hallway. And I have my son, I'm holding my son by the hand and we're just walking down this long hallway. What I can remember about this hallway is it's completely white. It looked clean enough to where you could eat off of the floor. Like I felt like I could eat breakfast on the floor. It was so damn clean. And it was so lit that it was so bright. It was like an uncomfortable brightness, like when you walk into a hospital and it'd be all freaking bright everywhere. It's just so bright, but I couldn't see like light fixtures. So it, I just remember looking for where this light was coming from because it was bright, but I couldn't find it. Like it was just a lit hallway. In the distance, I can see some sort of movement that looked like people walking back and forth, like regular humans. But it's hard to tell because it's so far. This hallway must have been a quarter of a mile long. Like, it, it was just like a long, straight, no curves, no, just a long, straight, you walking straight down here, buddy, hallway. And um, I'm holding hands with this being. I'm holding my son's hand. My son is holding this other being's hand. And when I look to the right of the hand that I'm holding, it's a very tall extraterrestrial, which I used to call a tall white. Until I did my research and found out maybe it's not a tall white, but it it had paper white skin. It was really tall. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but was it the same as the one that you had experienced as a kid in your bedroom? It looked like a gray with a smaller head, but it didn't have a blue suit on and it wasn't the color gray and it wasn't as tall as a gray. Those earlier experiences at your parents' house. Were they, uh, did you think that was all this, all, do you think it was the same exact ray or you're not sure? If I want to, to label it like in my research and thinking about what was happening to me, the gray that came to get me in the room are the worker grays, maybe half biological, half robotoid. So maybe those are the ones that they send out. Right. And then I, I don't think they're like the E bins. I think they're gray. 
And I think Ebens would be a different being altogether. Maybe I've had contact with them, which I could tell you in a meditation, but I think it was another being, but uh, another race of beings. But um, I think the greys are the ones that come to get me, yeah. come to do the work inside the house type, coming to get me physically. I think the the ones that were next to me were like the next level up on ship in charge of the program, right? And I think, oh, the insectoid is like one of the bosses, supervisors. I'm only going to see him a couple of times in my life. You know what I'm saying? He's he's only there to do the 25-year, 35-year checkups. You, you know, and it kind of resonates with something that, like, I don't want to misstate anything, but, like, you know, my understanding is after Roswell, right, we shot down some ships that I think were grays or sorry, maybe tall whites. And then maybe they started to have grays pilot the craft as more of like defense mechanism or something. I, I don't know. I'm thinking more like, um, the, if they crash something here on purpose, they crashed them with the robotoid grays yeah. for the reasons of like reverse technology type. Interesting. Like, I think it's all about, it's all about progressing ourselves in technology but it keeps on falling in the wrong hands type deal. I think that's what we keep dealing with. So anyway, um, I just remember being in this hallway. This really, it was like seven feet, man. I'm six foot one and it dwarfed me. Like I was at his shoulder. So it was like, um, like maybe his shoulder. So I'm looking at it and I just remember being okay with this, which bugged me out. Like I was totally fine with looking up at this being and like, okay, cool. It looks like a tall gray with white skin. I don't remember it having pants, but maybe that's because I don't remember genitalia. And um, I do remember it not having a shirt. And it kind of had like an E.T. Like if you look at E.T., the extraterrestrial movie, the way his body looked and shit. It kind of looked a little bit like that, but in a longer more elongated form very frail very skinny no meat to it but i just remember the way the fingers wrapped around my hands i just remember i got big hands man it, it wrapped like it's wrapped around my hands very long fingers and it felt like dolphin skin i just remember that as well like i just remember like dry dolphin skin like you know how when you touch a stingray or you touch a, a dolphin at like the aquatic parks it's wet and it feels like a web suit now imagine that feeling of like touching a stingray or a dolphin without water how it, like dry that's how these these beings feel like to me and um I just remember it leading me, my son, and these two these two tall beings leading us down this hallway into what I thought to be a uh, a mirror. I mean, excuse me, a window, which I know now to be a two way mirror, but it was a window. And when I looked inside the window, it was a daycare. It looked identical to a daycare, identical to a daycare, or like the lobby of like a dentist's office of something like that, right? So. I'm looking at this thing. Hold on real quick. Okay. I'm sorry about that. I thought I thought somebody turned on the AC. All right. So so I'm looking at this thing in the window. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, it looks like a daycare. Like, what is this? And I just remember the being taking my son into the room. And I'm okay with this, by the way. I'm not worried in any way, shape, or form. Like I they're being gentle. They're not dragging my son. My son is not crying. This is not an experience where I want anybody to think, oh, my God, this poor baby. I'm telling you, 
it could have been his cousin. Like it really was not a fear thing. It was a control. It felt very controlled. Like it was a controlled situation. He took my son into the room. I was okay with it. I saw my son sit Indian style inside of this room, like in the corner. And when he sat down, this door kind of opened up in the back and these other children came in and sat Indian style with him like in a circle so he wasn't in the middle and they sat around him he was a part of the circle like he was just they formed the circle together and i would think these kids were like hybrid children because they had very thin hair like very frail almost not in existent thing like thin hair their eyes were huge but they wasn't like black they were like they had pupils but they were like really big like the eyes of a gray but if the grays had pupils you know so look like that they had noses they had mouths they, but they had like clothes that looked like gauze the best way i can explain it is like a hospital gown that looked like gauze so they were all wearing this hospital gown there must have been like three of them maybe and they're all sitting in style and they're floating to each other telekinesis like doing telekinesis and floating a feather and i get this 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 sense they're like either floating a feather or this white piece of paper or something white they're floating it and i get this sense like they're teaching my son how to do telepathy like how to like move things with his mind wow how to do things yeah. like that something so, so i'm getting this sense then at the same time i'm get i'm watching this this tall white watch me looking into this window watching my son then i get my hand holds me by the hand gently pulls me into the room and inside the middle of this daycare and it looked like a daycare because there was a mural on the wall of like you know how when you go to like a, a kid's dentist or whatever it's like blue the bear and they're doing like the conga line and there's a rabbit and, and were there other kids there just just the hybrid children that was sitting with my son did they all look human or or what what do you mean when you say hybrid when I say hybrid, I mean like they they look like what a traditional maybe eight to twelve year old would look like in body size, but the skin color was a little bit off. It didn't look like a human skin tone, and um, in light, and I'm talking about more like light skin skin tone, and um, the eyes, man, it's always the eyes. The eyes are like, they're like this big compared. I mean, look at our human yeah. eyes. Did, did, did like, your son look different in this daycare? No, he was just like my son. Interesting. He looked just like my yeah. son. So I get this sense of like, they're just teaching him how to do things that these hybrid kids can do. And then I'm looking inside the room. There's like toys. There's this rocking chair in the middle of the room. So this big being brings me into the room and sits me down in the rocking chair and then leaves. And then that's when I noticed that it's a two-way mirror because I'm looking at a mirror at myself sitting in this rocking chair, but I just was outside of the same room looking in. So that's how I knew it was a two-way mirror. I was just looking into the room that I knew a mirror in. So it's like, I, I, it's a two-way mirror. So I'm looking at myself, I'm sitting in this rocking chair and I'm kind of like just sitting there. I'm looking at my kid playing. I'm totally okay with the hybrids. A lady comes in. She looks like a hybrid as well. She has her hair in a ponytail, but it looks very thin, very frail. Her eyes look huge, but she's very kind, very warm, not scary, very, and she gives me a baby. She hands me a baby. 
and she hands me a bottle. And she doesn't tell me anything telepathically. I just get the sense that I have to feed this baby a bottle. So I get ready to I put the baby here. I'm not really looking at the baby yet. I'm preparing the bottle. And then when I look down, I notice it's almost dead. It looks dead. It looks almost dead. It's alive, but the eyes, these eyes were black and they were huge. It looked, the skin looked very pale, very frail. The hair was almost non-existent, very like thin. And it just looked very sick. And when I tried to give it a bottle, it wasn't, it wasn't responding. Like it didn't want the bottle. And I get this sense of like the gray staring at me, like give it affection, like love it, heal it. Like do what you do as a human, care for it. Then I get this sense like maybe it's mine. So they think it's dying because it doesn't have the bond that it's supposed to have with the father. You know, like I'm getting this sense. And then as I'm thinking that, I blink and I'm not there no more. And I'm in this stadium. And it's like, it looks like a lecture hall, like um, a college lecture hall where the seats kind of cascade down layer by layer. And... Um, when I explain the seats, I used to explain them as having legs, but the more I think about it and the more I go into my memory, the seats were attached to like the back part of the wall. So it would be like the wall and then a scoop would come out the wall and I would sit in the scoop. And it was like that, a whole bunch of scoops and then a layer down and a whole bunch of scoops and then a layer down and a whole bunch of scoops and then a stage and then a big wall and then an arch doorway. And then on this stage, there's this table. Now, I'm sitting there from being in this rocking chair. I don't see my son. I don't see the tall grades. But I look to the right of me. And I'm not bugging. I don't know. But every time I come to this bar, everybody usually laughs. There's this obese woman sitting next to me from Brooklyn. This 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 African this African American woman, this this black woman sitting next to me, probably 280 pounds. And we having a conversation and she goes, yo, I'm from Brooklyn. And I'm like, yo, I'm from the Bronx. It's crazy. And we both don't know how we got there, but we both having a conversation. We're just talking to each other. Then as we're talking, we look down and I look at the archway and I see this being come walking in. And I think at the archway, there's like another being standing there, like another short gray, just standing there, kind of like looking at us as we're sitting in the stadium but it's kind of like a hazy memory i can't validate that for sure but i do remember seeing this translucent being like like the way it walked in dude was like it had no bones at all it had no bones whatsoever the inside of his skin was like liquidy and um sparkly it had sparkles in it I remember the head looking like it had a flicker of flame on top, like it would move. And the way it would move, it was like very like, like how something that was made out of water and had a, a form would move if it didn't have bones, like very fluid. And it walked like that while being shiny onto the stage and pointed at the table. On top of the table, as it said like this to this table, was a black box. The black box opens up from the top and a big hologram comes out of planet Earth and is spinning. And I'm looking at planet Earth spinning out this hologram and then a meteor comes out like the corner of the room like a hologram and it hits 
the earth and the earth freaking explodes into pieces. And I get this telepathic connection that goes, when this happens, you'll all have a job to do. And I was like, whoa. And then flash forward and I'm in this field with a whole bunch of people. And we're all kind of have our hands up like a palm up towards the sky. And there's this big, large light starting to come down towards the earth. And when we put our palms up, the the meteor explodes in the sky. And then I blink again and I'm back in my driveway. My son has his legs wrapped around my waist and his head on my shoulder. He's completely asleep. And I'm looking at this yeah. massive ship kind of fly away. And that's the end of the experience. So it almost makes you, I mean, did it, did it make you think that there's, a, there's an asteroid impact impending? No, no. I think, I think it's, it's, it's given me in its own metaphoric way. Like I had a lot of like time to process this and think about it. At first, I thought about it in a very linear way and go, oh, my God, I have to get to this field and put my palm up. And maybe, I mean, if that's what it is, then the universe will get me there if I need to be there. So I'm not worried about it. But it's not like I'm looking for that, right? I think what it was was its way of giving me purpose. Like, there is something happening energetically. Think of the meteor as energy. And think of the earth exploding as earth going in a negative direction, right? And when he said we will all have a job to do, maybe it means all of us experiencers that have had these kind of paranormal, crazy, weird experiences and bring back this shift in their mind. Like the one thing that I know for sure is these experiences that I these experiences that I talk about have changed me on an energetic level. Like I'm better for it, you know. Like so, where I used to be more negative, now I'm more positive. Where I used to be more selfish, now I'm more giving. Where I used to be more shy, now I'm more open. So it's like the things that that these experiences have brought me to has been probably to some of my darkest points. So as an experiencer and as being awakened, it's never easy. And 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 anybody that thinks it's easy to come out publicly and talk about extraterrestrials, go ahead and try it. It ain't easy. I mean, you're going to have family members that call you and go, you really believe that shit you're saying? You're going to have people that you love and respect. You might lose jobs. You might have friends that don't call you as much for parties and stuff like that. But what I can honestly say is the more I speak about my truth and the more I bring my story out there, the more emails I'm getting from other people like, dude, like, I thought I was crazy until you said this story. Or, dude, I've had the same experiences and I thought I was the only one. Or, oh, my God, my son was talking about this the other day and I dismissed him. Or, yo, dude, your music inspired me to do my own contact poetry. Or your music inspired me. So it's like I know I'm doing something in a different direction awesome. that might be awakening consciousness one person at a time. I think it was Tupac that said, I might not be the person to change the world, but I guarantee that my music would be the <laughs> the on the soundtrack of the person that does. You know what I'm saying? So it's like <laughs> I might not I, I might not change the world, but I do think that it might be a planet somewhere out there where I'm like Elvis. 
And maybe <laughs> on this planet, y'all don't get me, but on Sirius B, they're like, yo, I can't wait for his soul to come back and talk about all his human stories. Did you know they cry over there? They cry on that planet, yo. They feel rain over there. It's crazy. So all the uh, all the negativity that has come to, to these experiences, I think they've came so I can feel the empathy other people might be feeling. You, you, I mean, I mean, like I gotta be able to know what it feels like to be alone, to be scared, to be confused, to be doubted, to be unvalidated. Now that I have validation, and you know, there are people that believe my story. There are people that have been changed by what I'm bringing to the table. It's more like, oh my God, I get it. I get why I was in the fetal position that night in the corner crying because I was too scared to like admit that this was happening to me. But now I'm like talking about it with a smile on my face, happy because it could be helping somebody else. So the, it's a full circle, you know what I'm saying? And also, you can tell the difference between a military abduction and uh, a regular like abduction because the experience that I told you right now, I don't remember anything physical on my body as far as like when I woke up the next day, as far as I remember, I felt fine. There was no like, I didn't feel no sickness, no illness, no radiation, no nothing. Like it was just a, an experience that I had on board a ship, like another experience I had where they allowed me to like walk around. Like I remember being on a ship before I get to my last experience that I really remember, which is the military abduction. I'll tell you another experience that I have that I don't talk a lot about, but I remember there was these three symbols. I remember being in a chair like this, right? I'm sitting down in a chair and there's like these grays walking around the room. They're not really paying attention to me, but they're walking around, they're kind of around doing their own thing. And I'm sitting down and there's this screen right in front of me and the screen's on a diagonal. And on this screen, there's like a meadow and like sky, right? And there's these three symbols on this like completely flat panel. And the panel looks like stainless steel and, uh, and the symbols go indented in like they look like holes but in the shape of whatever symbol it is right deep right and when i put my hand over the symbol it lights up from the inside and the best way that i could describe the light is when you push down the button on the toaster and you see the coils light up it was almost the same color as those coils when i put my hand over it i didn't have to touch the panel but I know that when I put my hand over these symbols, I felt movement and I saw movement on the screen. And I know that when I put my hand over this symbol, I would move to the left. And when I put my hand over this symbol, I would move to the right. And wherever I thought mentally, I would feel movement going up, movement going down. And in my opinion, I think that was a training simulation for flying some sort of ship. So let's say there was some sort of invasion on Earth. I got to get humans the hell out of here. There's a UFO down the block. I pack it full of 50 people and get us the hell out of here. I'm just assuming that might be the training. I can't confirm that. I can't even confirm that it was training. I just could confirm it as a memory that I remember. And um, I also remember being aboard ship and the floor being kind of like bouncy and rubbery. Like I just remember it being kind of foamy, like uh, a sponge. And I just remember everywhere I touched on the wall, it would go translucent. 
So I would touch on the wall and it would be see-through completely at the ship. And then I would move my hand and it would be see-through for a little while and then go back to metal. So wherever I touched on the wall, it would go translucent. And I just remember hovering over a field, maybe 10 feet above a field that wasn't too far away from where I lived at the time. So I was just like, oh, yeah, this is where they take me or this is where, like, the field that they go invisible at and do whatever they got to do. I'm curious with this last memory, did you have a sense of, like, when that event would take place, right? Like, it it seems like you think about this concept of, like, ascension, right, and that, you know, false flags are potentially getting bigger and bigger. Like, it, it does kind of feel like we're leading up to some event one way or the other so i'm just curious if you had any thoughts on like what a timeline might look like um a timeline as far as when that happened might have been early 30s early 30s mid 30s for me for like remembering touching the translucent but i'm i'm saying more so like did you were you projecting a time in the future do you know what i mean okay no no i don't get like an exact date but this is kind of the scenario i'm having I'm giving the scenario that there's a whole lot of things happening and there's this calamity happening. And when it happens, there's going to be the ship that's going to be there. And I'm going to know how to drive it. And my job is to either get a whole bunch of extraterrestrials or a whole bunch of humans on board that ship and fly us the frick out of whatever scenario it is. Can I tell you when it would be or if it would actually happen? No. But might I be subconsciously trained to do it? Yeah, probably. I just don't know, you know? But it's probably something, it's probably a job that I'll have as a human. Like, yo, trust this human. I don't know how he knows how to fly, but he's going to get us the hell out of here. You know what I'm saying? So so it's one of those deals. Maybe it'll be a good movie. Uh I don't know. I'll tell you one thing that I do, that I do, um, um, I can honestly say, the thing that has hit me really hard has been the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect has like, have you heard of the Mandela effect? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Mandela effect is like the theory that we can find um, proof of quantum, like parallel universe jumping pretty much. Like you heard of the Bernstein bears being the Bernstein bears and Looney Tunes. So that's kind of, so around the time of my awakening was around the same time that I remember the Mandela effect. I'm what I would call an old earther. Like the planet that I'm from is not the dimension that I remember. So it's like even now, I know I'm in some sort of parallel universe that I'm not really from. And it's weird to say that because if you go online, you'll get a lot of people that feel this way. So it's like I remember things a lot. I'll give you a, a prime example. Full moons, let's say, right? There was A full moon was an event on, on the earth that I came from. So full moons was not like every other day. So full moons happen a lot out here. Where I came from, they barely happen. Here's another example of things I remember that are kind of like weird. Like um, the street that I lived in for about 15 years, if you drove down the block, there was a street in which when you look down, the hill was so high that you couldn't see the houses on the other side. Overnight, one night, literally, I'm driving down the same street. Yeah. And now the same street that I'm looking at that had the same hill is a completely different street. It's, you can see completely down the street. I thought I was crazy. I was like, yo, I'm bugging. Like, this is 
too much. Like, this is too much. Uh-huh. I tell my wife, yo, babe, let's go trick-or-treating down the street that has all the lights. This just so happens to be around the time where, you know, trick-or-treating and, and like Christmas or whatever. This neighborhood is the neighborhood that always makes their neighborhoods the spookiest and always puts up the lights. Uh, this is the neighborhood that everybody kind of like drives through. They park. They take pictures in this neighborhood because their homeowners association is like, you better put up lights here if you're going to live here. Type, type. That's wild. That was the same neighborhood that had the hill. And I remember every time going to that neighborhood, driving yeah. up this big hill, walking down this big hill. And I take my wife there and I go, anything looks different? And she goes, where is the hill? Like, what's, where's the hill? So I was like, ha, you remember it too. So you know, so we, there was completely different geology. Like the, the whole street changed. I'll give you another example. When you think of Mr. Monopoly, does he have a monocle or does he not have a monocle? Okay, well, in this reality, he never had a monocle. So the way that I experienced the Mandela effect, this is why it's so important. The same day that Miss Denise Stoner came to do the interview at my house was the same day that the Mandela effect affected me the biggest. I'll tell you why. It's going to bug you out. So I knew she was coming over the house that day with Terry Lynch, so I wanted to make sure it smelled good. I was really like, oh, my God, I got to make sure my house looks good. I got I got royalty coming over. Like, I, you know, she's a very important person. I wanted to be a comfortable environment for her to do her thing. So I go to the dollar store and I go buy Febreze. And, I, and, and, and this is a product that I've been buying for years, bro. You can't tell me that Febreze wasn't spelled the same way you spell Breeze with two E's. I'm sorry. You can't tell me that. <laughs> it's bullshit. Like you, it's a lie. You can't. It's not mismemory. I promise you, this is a product. I'm gonna say it one more time. This is a product I've been using all the time. When I didn't have a wife, like this was my go-to spray the couch. Don't make it smell like stank. Like product. I know what this looks like. I had this. Like I know it. And I rushed to the dollar store, and I'm like, yo. He was like, bro, it's in the back. I just stocked it. Go get it. And I was like, I ain't betting on town. I go to the back. I look at all of the smell good stuff. None of it is Febreze. And I'm like, yo, I got to go to the crib. You said it was in the back. Where's the Febreze? He was like, bro, you want me to take you to it right now? Like, I'm a regular at this dollar store. So the dude was giving me a hard time. I'm like, please take me to it because I'm tired of this. I I need to get this damn Febreze. I need to get the hell out of here. He goes, it's right here. And he points at it. And the way that it was spelt, because it was spelt with the missing E, I thought it was bootleg. Like, I thought it was like a bootleg version of Febreze. So I was like, nah, man, I don't want this bootleg Febreze, bro. I want the Febreze, bro. Like, the Febreze with the two E's. And he goes, bro, you're bugging, bro. That's the Febreze. And I'm like, whatever. I buy it. I show it to wifey. She thinks it's weird. I'm like, whatever. I sprayed around the house. I start looking into this Febreze, and that's when I fell into the Mandela effect, and that's when everything that I remember was wrong. Like, for instance, Mandela died when I was in high school, bro. Like, Mandela died when I was in school. They brought in a TV into my high school, uh, into my junior high school or whatever, and they said, sadly, Nelson Mandela has died in jail. And they were doing a whole funeral service for him in Africa where they were, like, taking his, his coffin and everything. And they showed it in my class. 
They rolled the TV in. And in and in this on this version, on this timeline that I'm in currently, right? That we're currently on, he died as a president. Like he was president of Africa. So that's why they call it the Mandela effect. Is because a lot of so I'm I'm from that point I'm from that version of the timeline on Earth and I truly believe my birthday is December 21st right yeah, so I'm, I was born on December awesome, 21st man. hell yeah for real dude you Where serious you ah! bros for life man that's what's up bros for life yeah uh, man that's what's up so I was born on December 21st 1982 right so yeah. I know all right that's what's up that's what's up so um, not too far apart so um um. I just remember like being really into like the Mayan calendar and was like, oh my God, the end of the world is going to happen, yada, 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 right? My theory is I believe that there's a possibility that there was some kind of event on the timeline that I was from. And I just believe that uh -huh. possible, uh -huh. whether it be through CERN or whatever, like I can't tell you what it is. It could be our own earth that's thing. It could be CERN. It could be another black project that we're not privy to or whatever the case may be. But whatever it is, I do believe that maybe on the timeline I was in, there was some kind of catastrophe. That timeline is over and certain people's consciousness just got transferred into the next timeline or the next reality that was as close yeah. to that reality. So that's just a theory of mine, but yeah, man, that Mandela affection has been affected. I have been, oh, another thing, where is this planet located in the Milky Way, right? I remember it being on the Sagittarius arm. I'm a Sagittarius. So I just remember how cool it was, was like, yo, our planet's on the Sagittarius arm of the galaxy. Now, if you look it up and if you look at it, we're not on the Sagittarius arm. We're somewhere fucking else in the Milky Way galaxy, which leads me to believe I'm on another form of of planet earth because i distinctly remember being on the sagittarius arm of this milky Way galaxy and we're not on the so if anybody else remembers <laughs> that i'm with you you're from my planet too and what's up <laughs> anyway um all right so the last story the, the reason why i could kind of tell the difference between a regular abduction and a military abduction would be because um and this is no i don't want to feel like i'm talking bad about the government Number one, I'm pretty sure there's uh, a lot of great people in our government right now that do a lot of great work behind the scenes, whether y'all think that they're destroying the human race or they're, they're doing like Illuminati. I just, I don't believe too much into like the whole government is bad for you type deal. I do believe that there are bad apples in any place that you go to in any division, any branch or whatever. And I do believe that there's some things that maybe can be cleaned up and changed for us to have like for instance let's just talk about free energy right if we really get into like free energy the reason why they don't talk ufos for real and the reason why they don't tell us about the technology that they really have is because once we start saying ufos are real the very next question is how did they get here and the very and the very next question after that is how long have we had the technology and we're still what doing fossil fuels like we're still coaling it up well, and that's, that's the thing for me, like when you talk about free energy, I agree with you absolutely that probably the most, most people in the government, in the military industrial complex are very good patriots, you know, who, who want to do the right thing. But at the same time, I do think that it's yeah, more than just for sure, bad apples. For sure. I think that it's, an, I think it's, a, 
I think it is a small number of total people, but I think they are very bad apples and they're in very important positions. And they can make power. very bad moves. Exactly. Yeah, and they can make very big bad exactly. moves. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, sure. that's, uh, that's my two cents on it. So I think that in this situation, in this in this in this situation, I I, I believe that I I had a telepathic connection with a UFO. Now this UFO might have been alive, or there might have been occupants on the UFO that I was connecting and, with. And, and sorry, but, but uh, just one thing I wanted to mention here before we get into the story is uh, this was again yeah, sure. in Orlando, and you mentioned that you live close to a military yes. base. Could you talk about that a little bit too? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that Miss Denise Stoner told me, um, she was really adamant about which in which direction did the UFO fly away. So when I told her the UFO kind of flew away in this direction because I wasn't really like northeast, west, or whatever. I don't I don't really know my sky like that. So I kind of just went in my driveway and I said this general direction, and her eyes kind of said, "Oh, okay. Did you know that there's um, a base around here close?" And I was like, "Oh no, what? Which base?" And she purposely said this. I don't want to tell you. Because I don't want to put things in your mind. But if you do your own research and look around, you might be surprised. So I kind of left it alone. And a couple of weeks later, I'm driving around the like UCF East Campus in like Orlando. And I look to the left and sure enough, there's like a aerospace Lockheed Martin not too far away from where I live, like minutes away from where I live, right? So you start thinking about how far away these bases might be from where I lived, and then you might think about how quick it might have been to be able to just put me in a van and drive me up the block 15 minutes, you know what I'm saying? So um, I found that out later on. But um, in this particular incident, I think I was picked up by the military because of the information that they might have thought that that UFO was downloading into my brain. So the way that experience went, it was kind of like, um, I don't know, it was kind of starting to get dark. And um, we just finished either eating or dinner was just being done or whatever. My wife was throwing away the garbage, right? And the door opens up, you know, she's walking out, but she stops outside the house with the door wide open almost before you make that left to go to where the garage is, the garbage or whatever. And she's just looking up like a zombie, holding the trash and just looking up. And she's stiff as a board. That's my bad. I hit my thing. I, so she's stiff as a board. She's just completely looking up and she's just holding the bag of garbage. So I'm staring at her. I find it kind of weird, but I'm not really saying too much because I want to just kind of wait to see her snap out of it so she could turn around, see me staring at her, and I could be like, ah, stupid, what was you doing? You were stuck, like, you know, so I could make fun of her. But she never turned around. Now, for the sake of conversation, I'm going to say it was maybe 45 seconds to 50 seconds, but it felt like three to five minutes to me. You know, it felt like five. But for the sake of conversation, let's just say it was 45 minutes to a minute. I mean, 45 seconds to a minute. Still a long time for somebody to be standing stiff without any motion looking up. So I walk towards her outside and I put my hand on her shoulder. And the minute I touch her, she goes, how beautiful, right? It's so beautiful out here, right? Wow, so nice. And I go, yeah, it's so beautiful. You've been stuck out here looking up at the sky for no reason. And she was like, what? I just walked out here 
and like just to her she did this walked outside looked up said wow look how beautiful and then threw away the garbage to me she walked outside paused <laughs> for like a minute i'm like what's going on man like you know so we had two different re um recollections of the same thing so we're both outside i think at the time i was smoking cigarettes so i'm smoking a cigarette she's accompanying me and i'm standing behind my car my car's in the driveway and we're kind of just looking up at the sky and the horizon i see this light kind of rise up in the horizon and kind of like just float in the air kind of in the distance and to me it looked like one of those chinese lanterns or asian lanterns or whatever you call them for lack of a better word and um it was floating up and it looked like just a lit light floating up. So I go, oh, babe, look, it's one of those Chinese lanterns. And she goes, oh, we should see a whole bunch more. Usually there's a whole bunch they put up, whatever, right? And it stopped going up. And we was like, wait a minute, the lanterns don't stop. They, they don't have brakes, right? They keep going up until they disappear or whatever. And um, it, this light stops. So I go, oh, it's a helicopter. That's what it is. There's a helicopter. Maybe it's flying towards our way, and we're seeing the spotlight, and we just can't hear it because it's in the distance, right? Not a helicopter. I, I start piecing it all together, and I go, <clears throat> damn, babe, I, I, I think we're looking at a UFO. Holy shit, I think we're looking at a UFO. And she goes, what? For real? And I go, no, for real. We're looking at a UFO. And she goes, oh, man. So I hold her hand, and I go, I, I'm going to connect with it. So I look, I'm staring at it. And now we walk to the back of my car, which is now where the sidewalk is. So I'm in my driveway still, but I'm in the sidewalk and like steps and you're in the street or whatever. And I'm like in between the sidewalk and my driveway. And I'm looking up at this light in the distance. And I'm like, with peace, love, and light, I'm an ambassador from earth. And I want to tell you with all the love I have in my heart, thank you for showing up today. And I just want to know that I'm connected with you. So can you please do me a favor and move to your right? And the minute I said that, it moved. And I was like, I said this in my mind, though. So I was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. So I got really, really excited, loud, out verbally. And I squeezed my wife's hand. And I said, I think I'm connected. I think I'm connected. I'm going to tell her to move to the left. And I said it to her verbally. And then in my mind, I said, with peace, love, and light, thank you so much for validating that we're collected right now. Please do me a, a favor and move to the left so I could show my wife. I said something like that, right? And it moved to the left instantly when I said it. And I was like, whoa, babe, we're connected. And this time she's seen move. So she's like, whoa. So we're both like, holy shit, holy shit. So now we're looking at it. And as we're getting excited, it's pulsating. It's getting dim. It's getting bright. It's getting dim. It's moving a little bit. It's, it's not doing fast movements. It's just like floating, floating, bright, dim. Moving up, moving down. Bright, dim. And then I'm looking at a couple miles away. Like it was just, it wasn't like close, a small dot. It was like maybe if it was to be a, a bigger ship, that looked like this, like a walnut in the sky. It was that distant. So um, it was out there. I'm connected with it. And I look to the right and I just see this black Durango. And it's creeping up my driveways. It's creeping up my street slowly. And I just remember in a Durango, it was exactly a Durango. I remember it being weird because I'm used to seeing limo tit, being an entertainer. I've been around a couple of luxury cars or whatever. So I'm used to like, 
the window tint, but it's I never see it in the front, like the front of the car, like the windshield. And if I do see it in the windshield, it's never like limo tint dark in the windshield. So this Durango, the reason why it stood out so much is because the windshield, the, the tint on the windshield was, re I couldn't see no form of who was driving. Usually you see people coming up your street, you can see the silhouette if he's wearing a hat, if it's a female, is it an obese person, is it a skinnier person? I saw a black shield coming up in a black on black car with black rims, like it was just a black vehicle coming up my street. And now I'm looking at this UFO, I'm looking at my wife, I'm looking at the Durango. Looking at the UFO, looking at my wife, looking at the Durango. And it and it and it it's moving slow until it gets so close to us that it's almost uncomfortable, and then it speeds up a little bit and drives past us. As it's driving past us, there's a flash of green that comes out of this car. I don't know if it came from the window, came from underneath, came from the back, came from the top. I just know that it flashed green. I asked my wife if she saw the same light as it passed us. And to her, it flashed red and white. So she saw like a red and white color. I distinctly saw a green color. It was green. 100% green. You couldn't tell me it wasn't green. It was as green as the goo that you see in Nickelodeon green. You know, like slime and Nickelodeon. Like that green. And I just remember that flash being that green. And this Durango drives all the way down to the like it had like a cul-de-sac to where you could you could kind of go to your left and go all the way around but at the end of the neighborhood there's just one house and it just reverse parks into the driveway and just sits there with the car running and now i'm looking at this ufo i'm looking at this car i'm looking at this ufo i'm looking at this car i'm looking at my wife my wife is freaked out she says the word men in black like oh shit there goes the freaking men in black right as she's saying this a helicopter flies over my house another helicopter flies from the left another helicopter flies from the right and now this light in the sky is surrounded no exaggeration between by four to seven helicopters completely surrounded in a circle hovering around this light my wife is seeing these helicopters i'm seeing the helicopters i'm looking at the durango i'm looking at the helicopters in the light it's too much for my wife to take care she can't take it no more i'm going inside this shit is scary be careful she goes inside i stay out there like ah you chicken shit this is what we live for we're here to connect with these beings and love and light right so i'm all in my mind but after a while, I get tired of being out there. It's just helicopters. The, the UFO dimmed out to nothing, and now it's completely dematerialized. And there's nothing but helicopters in a circle looking at each other now because they ain't looking at nothing else. And the Durango's still in the distance. So I go inside. I pay no mind. I go to my wife. She's in the kitchen. We get ready to see Nacho Libre. Nacho Libre just got on Netflix. It's one of me and my family's favorite movies. We decided that's going to be the movie of the night. So, well, what I find weird about the experience so far is that when I went back inside, we barely talked about the situation that just happened. Now, now I talk about it crazy. Like if it were to happen now, I wouldn't stop talking about it hours after it happened. But for some reason that day, I probably walked inside and we talked about it for five more minutes and left it alone. We didn't even mention it, which was weird thinking about it now. 
So we're sitting down. We watch the whole movie. Nothing happens. And in our house, when we watch a movie, we got the big screen. We turn off all the lights in the house. We raise the TV up and we make it like a movie theater. The only light in the house is the freaking TV. So now we're all in the living room. My kids. So the way my, my house is set up is my TV's in the front. I have a recliner on this side, love seat on this side, big couch in the middle, right? So I'm in the love seat. My wife is on the recliner. My oldest son is sleeping this way on the couch. My other son is sleeping on the opposite way on the couch. His head is this way. My other son's head is this way. They're both sharing a blanket. My wife is sitting with almost Indian style on the recliner. And I'm just hanging out on the on the love seat. And the way that my layout is, my back is to my front door. My wife can see my front door. Now, mind you, the house is completely dark. We just finished watching the movie. And it was 1043. The reason why I know it was 1043 exactly is because we, we had an old school Roku and it would bounce the time right on the screen in which, you know, it was at the time. It was a screensaver. So this big screen TV in my living room, the only thing that was lit was the time. I can tell you it was 1043. So I'm looking at this time. I'm talking to my wife. I forget what we're talking about. But I'm talking to her. My kids are asleep. And she goes, babe, did you hear that? And I go, did I hear what? And she goes, I think there's somebody jiggling the handle of the doorknob trying to get in. And I'm like, bullshit. Get out of here. For real? And she's like, no, no, no. For real. Listen, listen, listen. So I listen. And sure enough, I hear like somebody's jiggling at my doorknob trying to see if it's open. They're not pushing in. They're not aggressively, but they're jiggling at the doorknob. So I'm thinking it's either one of my stupid friends trying to be dumb, right, and try to scare me, right? But it does. Oh, my whole house is completely turned off. It's just a TV. So maybe it is a thief, you know, trying to get in. They see the the, the house is dark. They think it might be empty. So now my head is going. My wife goes, go over there and check it out. So I go, of course, you're going to send me to die in a scary movie, right? So I go, I get up. <laughs> of course, send me to die, right? I go and get up. I, I slowly start walking towards the door. I don't want to turn the light on in the hallway because I had these curtains that I can move at my front door that allowed me to see completely outside. So my my thing was walk com all, all the way to the darkness and kind of like rip the curtains open and just see who's standing at my front door and then turn on the light and then kind of get a visual of who's there. But to sneak up on it, right? Like, boo, yeah, I see you. What are you trying to sneak in my house, right? Like that type deal. As I'm walking towards, there's like a hallway before I get to my front door in which there's a room and another two rooms. And then my front door. So as I'm walking down the hallway, I get the sense to look to the right. The minute I look to the right of the hallway, there's this white flash. A light just hits me in my eyes. And it blinds me completely. And then I wake up and I'm in my back bathroom with my shirt off and I'm laid out. And I get this feeling and in, in, I hear like this high pitched sound in my ear. And my whole body feels like. Like when your arm falls asleep on the couch, it's all tingly. And um, I remember in my lower back, I felt like the feeling of anesthesia. And the reason why I can tell you that is because I've, I've had surgery for something that I've had. And I remember waking up out of surgery and just my lower back. I remember that that nasty feeling of like the anesthetic, like the, the medicine in my spine. 
And I just remember waking up from the floor in my back bathroom with that same feeling of nastiness as I was waking up. And I get up and I run. I was like, the first thought in my head was, holy shit, my kids. That's all I thought about. Like my primal father instincts just kicked in. And I was like, oh my God, my kids. And I jumped up and I ran from my back bathroom to through my bedroom into the living room. And... I see my wife, she's in the love seat that I'm that I was sitting in, and she like crunched. So if you were to sleep in the love seat, you would sleep on your side, kind of with your knees almost touching your stomach. She was sleeping with her her chin touching her chest and her knees almost touching her stomach. Like sat in the in the love seat, which is the most uncomfortable way to sleep. No blanket, no nothing. My oldest son was on the couch, but his feet was where the pillow was and his whole body was completely under the blanket so like where his head should have been is where his feet are and he's completely underneath the blanket sleep on the bed and then my youngest son is underneath my kitchen table with a pillow and a blanket completely asleep and i'm like which he never does because we never played fort under there or whatever we never done that so I run to my wife, I slap her on the knee really like, like, wake up, wake up. And she snaps out of it like, huh, what happened? What, what? And I go, babe, what time is it? And I turn around, I look at the time, bro. It must've been like either 1.49 or like 2.49. It was just hours after 10.43, bro. Remember, in my mind, I got up out the couch, I walked to the front and a flash of light. I woke up in the bathroom, maybe five minutes could pass, maybe. Maybe in my mind, five minutes could pass. Not two and a half, three hours, bro. I look at the time now bouncing on the thing. It's like 149 or like two and change in the morning. My wife goes, what happened? What, what happened? And she's like startled. And I go, what you mean what happened? Look what time it is. It's like two in the morning. Yo, what you mean what happened? She was like, all I remember is telling you somebody was at the door. Then I saw a white light. And now you're waking me up. That's it. So that was what I assume was the military abduction. Now, I believe that it was an actual military abduction because I remember the anesthesia. I remember the missing time. And I remember the men in black of that day or whatever you call them or whatever, the MIB or whatever. And, uh, and in the Durango. And if you put all that together, maybe, just maybe, they wanted to see if I was downloaded with any information. So they took me to another facility, tried to get it out of me, and then brought me home. So that's what I'm assuming. That's why I'm saying, like, I'm not really mad at the government. I'm not, like, anti-government. They were just doing their Like, how do they know I wasn't given, like, plans to destroy the planet? You know what I'm saying? So, like, maybe they're just doing their job. You know what I'm saying? So I don't really got any hate towards the government when it comes to, like, you know, oh, you've got a military abduction. That's messed up. I mean, it is what it is. It's like, just like I got a job to do in saying this information, some people got a job to do in extracting the information. So it is what it is. So it is, I'm, I don't got no hate. So that's pretty much, in a nutshell, my crazy life. And the way I like to wrap up all these conversations is I like to say that I believe that this is happening. Not because I'm Neo, because I'm the chosen one. Not because I'm like this this special guy out of a billion people or billions of people on the planet. What I believe is happening to me is something that's happening to a ton of people out there. And I believe that because of it, I've just been shown purpose in which 
I love in which fills my soul, my every need, being able to talk about these experiences, being able to transmute these experiences and negativity into positive through my music and my art is just kind of laying the foundation and showing people that, yo, I've had PTSD bad over these experiences and I've been able to change that feeling into positivity and wanting to connect with these beings closer and knowing that they're family and knowing that just like any family, there's bad people and there's good people. So I don't want everybody out there to think there's a lot of people out there that think that all extraterrestrials are positive. And I believe that if you think that you you're crazy, because if there's all positive, I mean, I believe that there might be planets of extraterrestrials that are all positive, but the whole spectrum of it, there's going to be good and there's going to be get bad. But I also believe that the really good ones protect us here on earth. And I believe that the bad ones are only allowed to influence you if you allow it. <laughs> and if you understand how powerful we are as beings, we are telepathic. We can heal ourselves. We, are, uh, we can get energy from the sun and we could ground ourselves with Mother Earth. We can use our, our art to be able to give knowledge. We can cast spells with our words. We can manifest with our thoughts. There's so many things that humans can do and that we're capable of that a lot of people don't understand. And that's also what I like to embody in my work. It's not just about our family from the stars. Yes, there's Palladians out there. Yes, there's Nordics and insectoids and water beings and, and, and greys and nomos and ebens and the list goes on. But there's also just good and just bad. And once you pick a side and once you pick an energy, you start realizing that there's a job that comes with it. If you pick a negative side, you're going to have to do negative shit to stay in that bubble. And you might get a lot of positive things that come with that negativity, but usually you're going to have to pay a price for it. And when you go positive, you tend to get a lot of negativity before you get any positive endorsement. But it tends to, it's just, it's just the yin and yang of life. So in closing, my brother, I would just say that, you know, Love each other. Spread the word. If you've had experiences on podcasts, talk about it. Talk to others about it. Enlighten people. Tell people what you learned. Tell people what, what, what you have to offer. Give people your art. Give people your knowledge. If your art is mathematics, do the math, man. If your art is, 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 is architecture, man, make the building that has perfect golden ratio to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, just do whatever your job is and doing well, my brother. And what's up with you? You want to tell me anything? I tend to ramble a little bit towards the end. Did I do well? Did I do enough for the pod, my brother? Did I do justice? <laughs> you did, man. That's you crushed up, it. Man. That was beautiful. I really love uh, you coming on, and you know, Raphael, if you'd be open to, it, would love to share one of uh, one of your songs to close out the episode. Oh man, I would love that. You you pick the track, and I'll be more than happy for you to you put it awesome. out there. And also, whatever song that I got on my SoundCloud, bro, it's it's up for grabs for you, bro. Whatever you needed to promote, whatever you needed to push. Please just call me and ask, bro. It's yours, man. No worries. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on again, and. Uh, this is such a blast. I will see you, I'm sure, at a CE5 adventure soon. For sure, for sure. And I want to go to that one meeting where you're doing that one meditation, man. That'll be dope. Yeah, man. I can't wait it. to see you, man. It'll be awesome. 
Let's oh, link yeah. up and chill and possibly jam in the studio. And to all you experiences out there, y'all keep on listening to the podcast. It was a blast to be in out here and um, show love to the hybrid podcast. I got my own podcast out there as well. Yeah. Go check out schizomusic.com. Um, S-K-I-T-Z-O-M-U-S-I-C for all your music needs. And um, yo, give this podcast a like and a share. If it resonates with you, leave comments and show my boy over here some love, man, because he's doing great work, man. It was a blessing to be on the podcast for real. Absolutely. Thank you, man. And uh, we'll include um, the links in the uh, show notes as well. So thanks again. And I'll see you soon. All right. Awesome. Awesome, man. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. We're going to have to do like a part, a part two, part three, something. Absolutely. Let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs>
and three, the use of intelligence assets in the media and scientific community to establish a culture that systemically gaslights, ridicules, and stigmatizes anyone who encounters ETs or witnesses their craft. In order to expose this cabal and to establish peaceful diplomatic relations with humans, the Galactic Confederation is now working in tandem with humans of high spiritual development to raise the collective consciousness of humanity. Once this crime syndicate has been brought to justice, human society will finally be able to establish world peace instead of our current paradigm of perpetual war. At that point, humanity will be ready for open diplomatic relations with extraterrestrials and to benefit from their higher states of spiritual and technological development, including their understanding of zero-point or free energy, auditive levitation, and the science of consciousness. So that's a lot, I know. It's, uh, it's quite an incredible story, which is part of the reason it's been so easy to dismiss by the public. I'm sure that my answer to Fermi's paradox doesn't come close to capturing all of the nuances and complexities associated with the ET phenomenon. However, directionally, I believe it represents a much truer depiction of reality than the one we've been led to believe. Take the abduction phenomenon, for example. In this episode, Ralph walked through vivid depictions of ET abductions that involved three generations of his family. As weird and unbelievable as the stories are, they resonate with the stories of hundreds of thousands of experiencers. And the importance of field consciousness theory as it relates to the ET phenomenon cannot be understated. And yet my guess is that most listeners who have not directly experienced extraterrestrials remain skeptical of the abduction phenomenon and the existence of ETs. Why do we as a society claim that there is no evidence of ETs, yet when brave men and women like Ralph tell their stories, we immediately look to discredit them as lunatics or liars? This all stems back to the psychological warfare tactics used by MJ-12 or Majestic-12 to gaslight the world and hide the truth about ETs in plain sight. For example, Harvard astrophysicist and intelligence operative Donald Howard Menzel, widely alleged to be a founding member of Majestic 12, wrote three books between 1953 and 1977 in order to debunk the ET and UFO phenomenon. Menzel's deceit was part of a much larger propaganda program to ridicule and dismiss experiencers, to stifle academics from conducting legitimate research into the possibility of ET life, and to force experiencers and abductees to self-censor. Thankfully, several decades later, another Harvard professor named Dr. John Mack decided to research the abduction phenomenon. Mack, a practicing medical doctor and clinical psychologist, interviewed enough abductees that he became convinced these experiences were real. In 1994, he published the book Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens. Following the book's publication, the dean of Harvard's medical school appointed a committee of peers to confidentially review Mack's clinical care in his investigation of people who'd shared alien encounters with him. This was the first time in Harvard's history that a tenured professor was subjected to such an investigation, a professor who was not suspected of professional misconduct or ethics violations. This is a perfect example of how the study of ETs has been suppressed within the academic community. Here's a clip of John Mack at a metaphysics conference in 2001 describing his experience. Now, what happened with me is that I, as most of you know, began about 12 years ago to 
work with people who'd had these so-called abduction experiences, encounters with strange beings. And I was at first incredulous and then astounded and then excited about what I was finding. And I figured if I went out there and wrote about that and talked about that, everybody would, who could listen, intelligent or not really, could, would find it equally exciting and find that this is really important and that we were in a relationship with beings from another dimension or whatever it was. But that wasn't the response that I received. Um, I found a lot of people got very upset about this and uh, began to wonder uh, why somebody who was a, a more or less respected Harvard professor would embark on such a strange and disturbing journey, just a disturbed journey that, that it was, and the focus became upon me and what was wrong with me that I should even take such things seriously. And of course, in the psychiatric community, there's no shortage of diagnoses for people like me. Uh, the notion of a midlife crisis was extended into the late 60s, and uh, which I found, you know, sort of curiously satisfying in a way. But, um, but the, the fact is that uh, this ran into a, a kind of buzzsaw in the media and at Harvard, so much so that an, a committee was appointed, a three-person committee to investigate. There was vague hints uh, of a kind of Kafka-like uh, nature that uh, questions had been raised about my methods. And I was thoroughly investigated for 15 months. And the dean, when he presented to me the letter telling me that this committee had been formed, said, John, you wouldn't be in, because we had been friends, you wouldn't be in trouble if you just said you discovered a new psychiatric syndrome uh, whose cause was unknown. It's when you said that this work required that perhaps we reconsider the nature of reality. That's what got you into trouble. Mac goes on to describe some of the nuances of the abduction phenomenon that make it difficult to study with the traditional scientific method. It's also, as for example, in the so-called alien abduction matter, the stakes are very high. We're, we're dealing with something which so fundamentally challenges the Western worldview as those of us that claim to be or offering information that might do that are being held to very tough standards, and properly so, because the scientific method, whatever its limitations has been, has developed very clear standards of experimentation, testing, rational analysis, replicability, and so forth. And we don't have that. And we can't have that. But what can we have? Well, we're dependent on the reports. Not entirely. There is physical evidence. Uh, we. People, for example, abductees do have marks on their bodies. Uh, uh, there's missing time, although it's hard to objectify that. Uh, but the physical evidence is kind of like if you were trying to study a giant and all that you got was the toenail of the giant. You know, I even like the image of it because it's sort of curved like a spaceship, you know. The, that, and you study that toenail, and you think you're, you spend, you measure it, and you get how many toenails have you seen, and how many people have seen it, and this and that, and you conclude this is what the, this is what it's about. But you don't see the toe, you don't see the rest of the body, you don't see the giant that's there. 
You miss knowing. So, but how do you know the giant of the reality beyond? You know through consciousness, through your whole self, but how do you know what, what's reliable? And I don't have the answer to this. I just can keep asking this question and addressing it. In part, it's a clinical question because it involves the reliability of the people who are making the reports. And one of the things that allowed me to endure through this whole Harvard Inquisition period was that I could keep saying, look, you see these people, you talk to them. Do they seem like they're suffering from some kind of mental condition? And those that were, you know, sometimes people just refuse to see them, but those who were willing to come in the room with me said, would come out shaking their heads and say, I see what you mean. I, I don't understand this either. And I kept saying, nothing in my 40, because it's now more than 40 years of experience as a clinician, has given me one bit of information that helps me understand what I'm hearing psychiatrically. The people are talking to me about experiences with emotion that's appropriate to what they're talking about, appropriate questioning. They have solid lives otherwise. There's nothing to suggest delusion. The only problem, the only problem is that what they're talking about is not considered possible from the standpoint of the worldview in which they and I were raised. Now, I happen to make the choice of deciding that something wrong with the worldview rather than that if we just keep going down that same road, we're going to find a syndrome that's going to explain this. But that's, once you go down the road of challenging the worldview, things really begin to get interesting. At this conference, Mac brought on stage abductee experiencer Veronica Goodchild to share her story directly. What happened in the encounter experience was that I was uh, on a meditation retreat in the Southern California desert, participating in the second part of an ancient mystery school retreat. So I think it's important to acknowledge the context. I'm not trying to say that there's a cause-effect relation, but I'm trying to say that I was in a field phenomenon. I had been um, uh, doing meditation on all the chakras for a, in a fairly intensive setting with a group for 12 days. Um, we'd done many ceremonies and rituals. And the conference was over, and uh, I was going living on the East Coast at that time, and I was um, going to fly back the next day. And a friend and I said, well, you know, why don't we go up the mountain over Palm Springs and look at the view? below. And um, so the two of us got in the car and we started driving up the mountain. We'd had dinner so with a group of us and it was uh, probably about eight in the evening, something like that. It was still light when we started anyway. So we began to make our way up one of the beautiful mountains surrounding Palm Springs. And um, there were two features about the actual journey up the mountain. One was that it was an incredibly blustery evening. There was a lot of wind, you know, sort of bashing the car. And the other thing was um, that there was a lot of traffic on the road um, up and down. So we got near the top, and now it was already dark. And um, so we said, well, let's just get off at this, you know, view parking lot thing. And so we. Um, parked the car 
and we looked out over the mountain, uh, from the mountain down towards the town, the lights below. But it was so cold and windy that we said, well, you know, don't let's hang around and we'll go back down. At which point my companion turned back towards the car and um, he, he suddenly noticed this, what seemed like um, a stationary object off the side of the mountain. Um, and it had these circulating colored lights on its underbelly. And that was really only the part that we could see. So I don't really know what the shape of whatever this was, was. But he saw it and he said, so looking at it like this, he said, well, what, um, what do you think that is? And I, so I followed his gaze and I, I, I turned to where he was looking. And um, at that point, uh, an extraordinary thing happened. The whole landscape suddenly shifted into a completely different dimension. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, our feet were still planted on the same geographical spot, but the wind completely disappeared and the entire traffic completely disappeared. Um, what happened was the landscape became illumined by a sort of moon, if I were to give it, a, try to describe it, it was a kind of moonscape, as if a light from whose source you didn't know illuminated the land that we were on. But as I say, there was, it was moved into a profound kind of stillness and um, the wind and traffic were no longer present. There is this union of the timeless with the time bound, as if fully knowledgeable of my own presence, but in communion with something that was eternal and transcendent. Um, the other feeling was one of um, a kind of benign, compassionate, loving, presence. Um, I think we are being called increasingly to the center that is the heart. Um, I don't know how long that event took. When I say to people I don't know, I can only say it seemed like about two minutes, even that maybe longer than it was. But um, when that window, whatever it was, closed, um, the, the wind came back with full force and the traffic was again on the road, going up and down the road. It, it was, an, it was a, 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 an extraordinarily awesome experience. That's the only way I know how to say it. We got back in the car and we drove down and back to the house um, that we were guests in, and um, two things about that. One, it was, everybody was in bed and asleep. It was two o'clock in the morning. 
I didn't realize that at the time. It was actually only later that I suddenly realized well, what happened between about nine and two. Um, the other thing was that when I went into the bathroom, I looked in the mirror, I had like radiating off a rainbow kind of aura radiating off my form. The commonalities across many abduction experiences provide compelling support for their legitimacy. Here is a clip of Dr. Mack, fellow abductee researcher Gilda Mora, and abductees Karen Austin, Lupa Marini, and Peter Faust describing their experiences and some of the common themes. We don't know really what they are. We don't know even in what reality this is happening. Uh, even if this is just a projection in the mind, we don't know. But follow the same pattern. I think the most characteristic element is the perception of light. And the light seems to have a certain power in it. And as I was going down to sleep, I thought, hmm, there's a blue light coming through. I woke up the light. I wonder what that is. And I just went to sleep. The light was very bright and very blue. Very, very blue. White light hits me in the forehead, and I find myself, like, paralyzed. The light seems to contain within itself some kind of special energy that can move The light people. comes and over the person. Often they really do feel that their physical body is they taken. They feel they're being taken by the light. They're not in the room anymore, and they are floated, is the word they usually use. I have memories of feeling myself um, very clearly, you know, being floated out of the living room. And then I felt myself being lifted up and out and watched myself go through the French doors and or through the onto the deck of our house. They get taken up into some kind of craft. And then kind of being lifted up and into the ship. up into the bottom of the ship that wasn't very far away um, in, in this pink, pink, sort of orangish ready light. In a classic kind of, in a beam of light. Sometimes there'll be humans working alongside the aliens, or the typical humanoid greys. They go up to about the middle of my chest, so I'd say that's about, about four, four and a half feet. had this gray head. They're grayish skin in color. Pointy chin, these large liquid black heads, eyes. Kind of pear-shaped heads with uh, large, large eyes, almond-shaped eyes. No nose that I could really tell, no lips, you know, just a, sort of a slit from mouth. Kind of snake skinnish. That very smooth or shark skin or kind of fish, fish skin. Like beans, reptilian beans, insect like beans, praying mantis like beans. And then procedures occur which involve examinations, poking. I was on a table in the ship and they shoved this needle into my belly. You know, and it and I thought, oh my god, I'm gonna die from very this pain. Distinct two puncture marks. Um, it was. It wasn't red raised like a like a normal um, bite spider bite would be, and and as I recall, it healed very quickly. It healed unusual. I woke up the next morning from this really nasty experience of the reptilians with the the puncture gun, but I had three puncture marks in my belly left left over that healed in this really strange way, very quickly, like with three little sunburn marks on them. In addition to extraterrestrial abductions. Researchers and experiencers have also reported abductions believed to be carried out by groups within the military and the intelligence agencies. This gets into some of the darker elements of the true nature of reality, 
but is something we must acknowledge if we are to find the truth. Stories include the use of mind control or psychotropic weaponry. Others allege a plan by the intelligence agencies to use psychological warfare and to set the stage for a future false flag attack to be blamed on hostile extraterrestrials when in reality it will be carried out by humans using reversed engineered technology. There are also frequent allegations that the leaders of this cabal are in collusion with certain lower vibrational non-human species, including reptilian beings that frequently appear in darker ET experiences. I can't begin to speculate as to how deep the conspiracy goes. All I can say is that the true nature of reality is way stranger and more complicated than we've been led to believe. When we consider that A, ETs are here, actively playing a role in world events, and B, the physics of a consciousness-based cosmology turn everything in our materialistic Newtonian cosmology upside down, we have to broaden our worldview on what is possible. Here's Dr. Mack responding to a question on these darker elements. Dr. Mack, have you made any comparisons between the contactee experiences and those, the ever-increasing number of those that claim to be the victim of some kind of mind control technology? That's another frontier in this field. Um, somebody did a, a study in McCarthy uh, in, uh, in New Jersey that something like 40% of people that are reporting mind control experiments when they are studied in greater depth are abduction abductees. And there is a, a whole complex of phenomena which seem to be interrelated, which uh, is a kind of dark frontier uh, in, in this. By the way, speaking of dark frontiers, did you happen to notice the cartoon in the latest Newsweek which uh, shows um, Darth Vader figure tapping uh, Mr. Rumsfeld, Secretary of uh, Defense Rumsfeld, looms over him, starts tapping him, and he's saying to him, I am your father. <laughs> the latest Newsweek, I mean, they're catching on out there, you know? Uh, and uh, I mean, the whole militarization of space deserves some discussion in terms of the dark energies. And, and, and um, so you take the military abduction. Some people, this is a very controversial area, some people report that aliens and they've seen aliens and military people working together in underground bases. Uh, other people report the NSA is doing all kinds of mind control experiments on the abductees or they meet the abductees when they come out of the uh, out of the uh, ships and there they are. I, I tend, and this may be <laughs> related to the 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 non-ordinary state work I've done, but I tend to see this not necessarily entirely literally, uh, more as a some kind of archetypal expression of the shadow side uh, uh, of our, our whole being, where the, the whole military complex represents that shadow and is emergent with the abduction phenomenon in some way. Not that, the, not that there isn't a lot of destructive stuff going on, but when it's connected with the abduction phenomenon, I tend not to take it entirely literally, but I don't know. Uh, so it's a, it's a very, it's a scary area. I mean, it's a, I've stayed away from it in some ways. I mean, it's an area where people who've done this research have gotten into, you know, disappeared mysteriously or, uh, uh, you know, gotten, what, I don't know. I, I don't even want to, 
it's a, a very disturbing subject. Unfortunately, over the past 21 years, additional evidence continues to surface that the military's involvement in the ET phenomenon is not just an archetypal expression of consciousness. Rather, unacknowledged special access programs are actively suppressing the truth by any means necessary and monopolizing these revolutionary technologies for weaponry. Three years after this conference, Dr. Mack was killed by a motor vehicle when crossing the sidewalk in London. I don't say any of this to scare you, but rather so you can recognize both the profound implications of what's at stake in the extraterrestrial phenomenon and as a suggestion that we should not make broad generalizations based on specific experiences. As Mac suggested, we shouldn't assume to understand a giant by the remnants of its toenail. Goodchild provided some insights on the darker side of the ET phenomenon and its relationship to the broader dark night of the soul through which humanity is currently going. I, I did want to say just very briefly about this dark aspect. I think if you look at all the religious traditions of the world and the Gnostic and mystical traditions, the, the, the element of the dark night of the soul or the black sun, uh, the, the, there are these connections between the dark and the light in all mystical traditions. And that is part of any analysis. It's part of spiritual journey, facing the dark aspects are um, extremely important for the development of self-knowledge and the journey to the divine. And I think that's become part of also the UFO experience. Dr. Mack closed out the session with some words on the importance of legitimizing abduction experiencers, which I hope you'll all consider. I believe they, they bring something of extraordinary importance to the culture. In other words, they are receiving information from whatever source this phenomenon emanates from that says human beings have to change. We have to open our consciousness. We're, we're acting like, as one of the experiences call it, rednecks in the galaxy bent on destroying not only ourselves, but life way beyond ourselves, other species on the planet, and, and, and even causing a, a cosmic ripple in, in the dimensions of our destructiveness. They, they have to change. The experiences have something terribly important to tell us uh, about this, but then those of us that work with them have that job of legitimizing, trying to legitimize what they have to say. Finally, I want to touch on the idea of a hybridization program, which Ralph brought up in this episode and is another common theme amongst abductees. The broad theory is that there is some type of hybridization effort ongoing between humans and extraterrestrials, be it by traditional reproductive means, artificial insemination, genetic engineering, or some combination of the above. I certainly can't speak to any of this myself, but I've heard enough stories from experiencers to believe there's really something here. This idea of a hybridization program probably comes off as some combination of weird, unbelievable, gross, scary, and ridiculous. All I can say is that just because we don't understand something does not mean we have to fear it. While I certainly don't want any external party, be they extraterrestrial, human, or other, to force me into procreation against my will, I ask that you consider the following. 
Is it possible that this interaction with beings of higher intelligence is a reflection of human interaction with beings of lower intelligence? The way we've sought to dominate and control nature. The excessive eating of meat, predominantly commercially farmed and genetically modified. The destruction of rainforests, the lungs of our planet, for farmland to raise more cattle. As above, so below. If we want to have full dominion over our bodies, minds, and souls as a species, as I certainly do, maybe our collective consciousness first needs to be ready for that responsibility. This question of dominion over human DNA gets back to the origins of humanity here on Earth. Now, conventional science believes human civilization evolved gradually in a process of Darwinian evolution that occurred linearly over millions of years. Unfortunately, those theories don't hold up under scrutiny. Increasingly, evidence has been found showing civilization is more appropriately characterized by catastrophism with cyclical rises and falls in human civilization. The most recent catastrophe was likely with a cosmic impact at the beginning of the Younger Dryas period about 12,900 years ago. Furthermore, genes do not determine the path and speed of evolution, but rather proteins controlled by the mind epigenetically drive evolution in response to the environment. One possible alternative to the origins of human life on Earth is the idea of directed panspermia. Panspermia refers to the introduction of life to a new habitat from an astronomical object. This phenomenon of panspermia could happen accidentally, such as through a comet impact. Or the panspermia could have been directed by some form of intelligence with the deliberate intentions of placing life in the new habitat. This idea of directed panspermia was made popular by Francis Crick, who in 1953, alongside James Watson, had published a paper that laid the groundwork for our understanding of DNA's helical structure and its functions. Crick was shocked by the complexity of the DNA code, and he hypothesized that it was so mathematically complex that it could not have evolved on Earth in the four and a half billion years since Earth was formed. Therefore, it could have originated from a far distant planet and possibly sent to Earth intentionally by a species of higher intelligence. And so as we explore the ET phenomenon, maybe we shouldn't just be asking, who are these beings? Maybe we should also be asking, are we ourselves extraterrestrials?
Too many people asleep, not many people like me. Too many people are sheep, we're just here to feed the elite. These fear-mongering monsters are sitting proud at the feast. Wiping their face with hundreds while humans struggle to eat. Nah, not on my watch, now our freedom of speech. It's sitting at my hip like a six-shooter with heat. It's in my bloodline, DNA is the key. The minute we activate it, they falling right at our feet. So they keep it hush, hush, plugging up all the leaks. If you speak, get yourself some surveillance watching the street. Cause they coming, no need for the running, they got a fleet. Stand strong, don't look at the beast until he's weak. That's the mood, always red, always blue pillin'. Give me two mushrooms in a room with true feelings and I'm cool. No way I could lose with you giving me the same energy back that's been written. Oh 